Well, it's the first day of 2023. Did you, did you think you would make it? How many of you? Oh, absolutely. I knew I was going to make it. Some of our family and our friends and our neighbors did not. So let me ask you, have you made New Year's resolutions? Things that you intend to do or maybe not do. We usually treat this time of year as a reset button. I was thinking the other day, I thought, you know, why, why January 1st? Why not like July 1st or something? If we need to eat healthier, if we need to exercise, if we need to lose bad habits or pick up a new habit, something that's good, this is a good time to evaluate and and make adjustments. I was also thinking, in just a few weeks, President of the United States is going to go before a joint session of Congress, and he's going to give a speech concerning the current condition of the nation, this State of the Union message will include reports on the nation's budget, the economy, and a look ahead at things that perhaps the president would like to see happen. He'll talk about where we are, where we've been, where we're headed. And so today I'd like to do that. The state of the church, where, where have we been? Let's look back just for a moment. It doesn't have to be a long, and I know you're saying, thank, thank the Lord, it won't have to be long. But we're going to look back just for a moment, and we're going to look ahead. What is the church supposed to be doing? The church was instituted by God himself. In fact, we saw in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and many of you remember this verse, where Jesus is asking his disciples, who, who do the people say that I am? And, and the, one of the disciples, probably Peter, said, well, they, some of them say you're Elijah, some of them say you're you're one of the other prophets. And then Jesus said, well, Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter said, well, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. And Jesus said, you do well, Peter. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon this confession of yours that I am the Christ, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God has always had a people. God's always had faithful people who who love him and trust him. We've become known as the church. And in 1842, there was a need for a Baptist church in Selma. And this body of believers was organized on May the 29th of that year. So this coming May 29th, this church will have been around 181 years. In all that time, God has called out missionaries and ministers and teachers and leaders to equip his church and to bring him glory. This morning, I... I say to you, I know you love your church. I know you do. You're here on January 1st. You could have been in bed after that long night, football game, staying up till midnight. Many of you have made that statement to me. I love my church. I love my Sunday school class. I love the WMU that when we meet together. I love how we meet together and how we love one another and how we encourage one another. You love the Lord and you love his church. So what do you think God would have us do as his church? Let's consider 
what the church is supposed to do, the purpose of the church. Why did God provide the church? What are we to be doing? And what is it that we should be doing with excellence? And how do we get there? Folks, the people who preceded us, they've been faithful. And they have passed on what they received. And so I submit to you that we do likewise. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, that Paul Thomas just read for us a little while ago, we find some of the purposes of the church. But I'll submit to you there were more, more scriptures that I wanted to, to bring to you, and I'll mention them just a little bit. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, where the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, Master, what's the greatest commandment? I think they were trying to trip him up. And he goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, what the Hebrew people called the Shema, and said, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he added, he said, and you'll love your neighbor as yourself. In Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, we find one of the purposes, in fact, a couple of purposes of the church when we hear the Great Commission. Go, preach, and teach the things that I have taught you. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 through 19, we find that God provides leaders, pastors, teachers, evangelists. And what does he provide them for? He provides them so that they might equip the church. And who's the church? You're the church. That they might equip the church for what? For the work of ministry. And so... In these scriptures, we find the purposes of the church, believers everywhere, the universal church. But let's look within our context here at First Baptist Selma. The first purpose of the church is what we're doing this morning, coming together to praise and exalt God through worship. We come together because we gain strength and encouragement from one another. There's a little bit of wisdom that's found in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12. You may have read it before, but it, it basically says two people can resist an attack that would otherwise defeat one person alone. And then it goes on to say a rope made of three cords is hard to break. So if you will, if you'll envision in your mind, just imagine one stick in your hands. A little small stick, maybe green, a little hard to break but you can break it. But now take two of those sticks and it's a little harder to break. You may still be able to break that stick, those two sticks, but put three of them in your hand. And that's what this, this wisdom from Ecclesiastes is telling us. When we gather together, we're like sticks metaphorically. When we come together, we gain strength from one another. One stick can be easily broken. But you add a second one or even a third, and it's almost impossible to break it. We're all sticks, and we can be overcome by Satan and the difficulties of this life. But you add sticks, and we're strong together. Also, I submit to you in Hebrews 10, verse 25, and we've heard this verse many times, don't forsake the gathering together of ourselves. Maybe you've heard the story of the lonely ember. You may say, well, I don't remember that title. But after I tell you the story, maybe you've heard it before. 
It seems like there was a chronically absent church member. The member invited the pastor in, and he showed him to a seat near the fireplace. Pastor never said a word. He had knocked on the door. Member let him in. He's going over. He knows he's supposed to sit in one of the chairs at the fireplace. Sits down. He doesn't say a word for, for just a few moments, a few awkward moments. Then the pastor reaches over and grabs the fire poker, and he grabs a, an ember from the fire and pulls it away. The ember begins to grow dim. In fact, after a minute or two, it turns completely black. Still saying nothing, the pastor takes that fire poker and pushes it back into the fire. And it began to glow again. Pastor got up without saying a word, showed himself out. Next Sunday, that once absent member was in his regular seat. He understood. We need worship because God is great. And we're made to praise Him. And when we come together, we're to celebrate the, the gift of grace through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But not just that, but in anticipation of His imminent return. It could be 2023 when Jesus comes back. We don't know. But we work and we continue to be faithful. We rejoice and we sing with glad and sincere hearts. So therefore, one of the purposes of the church is to purposefully worship the living God from whom we have received grace and mercy. Another purpose of the church, as I mentioned, is found in the Great Commission. And it requires that we teach what we have been given. Go teach what I've taught you, Jesus said. Paul told Timothy something similar in his second letter to Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2, he said, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust those things to faithful men who will teach others also. As I mentioned a few moments ago in the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, God's people are commanded to teach their children, but not only their children, but their grandchildren. It's in God's Word. We're to be constantly teaching it says so right there. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Verse 7 of chapter 6, Deuteronomy, says impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Why? Because we're forgetful people. And it's our responsibility to teach God's precepts to everyone, everywhere. How many generations? Just your children? No. We're responsible to teach into our old age. Nowhere in God's Word are we told to stop teaching. You may say, well, I taught while my children were small, but now it's someone else's turn. Did God's Word say that? It said, teach them to your children and your children's children. Teach into your old age. In Titus chapter 2, Paul tells Titus, he says, teach the older men. And then let them teach the younger men. And Titus, you teach the older women. 
You teach them how they're supposed to be, and then there to teach the younger women. Our life of worship doesn't take vacations. It doesn't have a retirement plan here on earth. Your faith is to be lived out every day you live on this earth. Our retirement plan is in heaven. There's no reason for our church to ever be in need of a children's worker, someone to teach Sunday school, someone to do children's worship, someone to do vacation Bible school. We should have more workers than we need because there are plenty of us here. And we've been called to teach. Or have we forgotten that we were bought with a price? And we're told, therefore, glorify God in your body. Your body's been bought. Everything you are, the strength you have, the training that someone else imparted to you, the time you have on this earth, the material possessions that God has graciously given to you, that he has lavished on us, all these belong to him. You know that. Now I simply submit to you that we're to remember it and to remain faithful. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 basically says, What you do, you do it as unto the Lord and not unto men. So when we teach that little snotty-nosed three-year-old that's driving us crazy, you're doing that to the Lord. You're doing that for His sake. Jesus said in Matthew 25, I was hungry and you fed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in jail and you came, I was naked, and you clothed me. And his disciples looked at him and said, Lord, we, we don't remember that. When, when did that happen? And Jesus said, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. I know you love the Lord. I know you do. I know you love his church. So in 2023, let's show him our infinite love and our gratitude by serving him well, teaching others whatsoever he has commanded. Thirdly, we're to preach the gospel, the good news to everyone everywhere, the story of Jesus and how he's changed our lives. It's personal, I know it is, but we're to be telling others what God has generously done for us. We're to be supporting others as they go all over the earth. As the bride of Christ, we're supposed to improve our skills. So 2023 can be a year when we improve our ability to share what God has done in our lives with the people around us, whether that's at work, at play, wherever we may go. The fourth purpose of the church is fellowship. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, which were read earlier, we find the church doing what God wanted them to do. They were meeting together, taking care of one another. They were fellowshipping with one another. They were praising God. And because of that, they found favor with the people around them. Because of the community that they had, the Lord added to their number every day. You see, the people in the community saw what those Christians had was real. 
and it was valuable and they wanted it. Everyone wants to belong to something, especially a cause greater than themselves. That's what happened back then, and it's still true today. Fellowship is not so much about you and what you can get out of it. It's about what you bring to the table through Christ. So when we have a midweek fellowship, and maybe you don't feel like coming, do it anyway. There have been plenty of times in my life when I felt down or felt sickly and I pushed through. Not always, I'll be honest. But when you do, when I've done those things, I've been so thankful for it. Usually those are the times when I receive the greatest blessings. So we're told to keep on keeping on. Paul wrote in Galatians 6, 9, Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. You may think that your presence doesn't matter, but it does. And one day we will give an account to Christ for the things we did for his sake. You're accountable to one another, but you're also accountable to him for your presence and fellowship. I know you love your church. I know you do. Be faithful. And finally, the fifth purpose of the church, the thing we should evaluate, the thing we should be sure we're accomplishing for the sake of Christ is service. Or some might say missions or some kind of ministry. These are all the same thing. Serving our community, serving our neighbors, loving them so that they want to be a part of the kingdom of God. Within the context of our community, we should find ways to serve. Jesus said to us that we're to care and serve those around us, especially the least of these, so that we might influence them to life in Christ. So, what drew you to Christ? How how did you become a faithful follower of Jesus? Was it something, someone telling you about him? Was it evangelism? Was it the fellowship, the community that you found in the church? Was it teaching and love that was imparted through a Bible class when maybe you were a child, a youth, or a young adult? Was it the service or ministry that another believer provided to you in a difficult time in your life? Did you come to Christ as a result of the passion that you saw in God's people through worship? These five things are things we should evaluate and give priority to in this new year. What is it that will give God the glory that He's due? How can we be found faithful in Him and the calling that He's placed on our lives? Worship, evangelism, discipleship, fellowship, service. This morning, you may not have a personal relationship with Christ. You've never come to faith in Him. But maybe this morning, the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart, calling you to Himself. The process was costly to Jesus. It was a horrific death on the cross of Calvary. 
And probably the worst part of it was that he who knew no sin became sin for us. The penalty of our sin was placed upon him. But the forgiveness and the salvation that's offered to us through that act is a free gift from God. All you have to do is acknowledge that you're a sinner, turn from your sin, and follow him. Imitate Christ. If you're serious, God hears you. He forgives you. And according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, He makes you a new creation. What better thing to become on New Year's Day than a new creation? Perhaps you're a believer this morning. You've served God faithfully for years. But you realize maybe you've lost a little bit of your passion or you failed to give your all to Christ. Today you can make a resolution to follow Christ with all your strength. With a renewed vigor. Today's the day to get right with God. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven. We praise you because you have given us another day. Not another day for ourselves, but a day to live for you. Another day to be that beautiful artwork that you have created and you've intended. When others see us, they see you. They, they see the creator. They long for your presence. Father, may we, your children, who are grafted into the vine, as Jesus put it, we're made a part of this glorious church, may we be found faithful, wholeheartedly investing in what you have blessed us with so that we might make your church a glorious reflection of you. We want you to receive glory. We want our community to be drawn to you. You've been so good to us. May we use all the resources that we have at our disposal. Our strength, our talent, our time, our investments that others have made in our lives. In order to edify the church, your bride, and to enlarge your kingdom on earth. Now, Father, in this time of decision, I pray your Holy Spirit moves among us convicting us of sin and changing us, changing us to the image of Christ. We pray this in the name of our great Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, I'm going to ask you to take your hymnal, turn to hymn number 433. I'm going to come down front. If you have a decision you want to make, a decision you need to make, you can come down. We'll pray together. You can make that known to the church. But let's stand together and sing, I Surrender All, 433.